Hello, sisters and brothers, and welcome to another edition of the Franciscan Day podcast as we continue our exploration of the examined prayer. So as you recall, uh, the examine has five parts, and today we're going to talk about part three, uh, which is the review of our day. So after asking God to send the Holy Spirit to guide and enlighten us, and having given thanks for the blessings God has bestowed on us, the next step in the examine is to review our day. The Jesuit Institute recommends, in fact demands, that you do not begin to examine yourself until you have thanked God for the gifts he is giving you. We need to be able to balance the good that we've received from God from the not-so-good we often return back to God. And of course, the whole point of the examine is to help us become more conformed to the person of Jesus. The examination of conscience, that when we pray like the computer in Mass, we, we talk about you know what I have done and what I have failed to do. And as we look at our day, honestly, we not only need to recognize those actions we may have done that need correction, but also recognize where we may have neglected to do the things that we ought to do. Donald St. Louis, writing on the examine, states that the purpose of the review we are about to undertake is to know my sins and to rid myself of them. And he says that there is a natural flow from reflecting on our sinfulness. In fact, he says that the knowledge of our sins moves us to understand ourselves and God's will more clearly, which he ultimately says leads to freedom. It's almost like an AA meeting where the first step to recovery and healing is to admit there is a problem. So if we're going to then examine our day in the light of our sins, we should have a little bit of a discussion on the topic of sin and what exactly do we mean by sin. So let's get a little bit uncomfortable. Let's talk about sin. You know, I had a publisher once tell me regarding some writing that I did on the topic of sin that their readers would not like it because sin makes people uncomfortable. Hmm. I remember thinking, well, shouldn't sin make us uncomfortable? So when we talk about sin, you know, it's something we don't hear about too often these days. In fact, a lot of people, I think, in our culture, uh, really say that sin is an outdated concept. But, you know, when we look at uh, New American Bible, for instance, sin is mentioned 753 times. 753 times. So if that's the case, and it has such a great number of mentions in, in the sacred scriptures, if sacred scripture is the word of God, then we have to take this topic of sin seriously. It's not something that was just mentioned in passing in the sacred scriptures. So what does the Bible have to say about sin? St. Paul has compiled several lists of sins that will, he says, will prevent one from entering the kingdom of God. And examples of these lists of sins can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21, Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, Colossians chapter 3, 5 to 9, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 9 to 10, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 to 5. Look at all the times that St. Paul, he's given a lot of time and attention to the topic of sin. And so, sisters and brothers, I say uh, we should also. You know, some of the sins that uh, St. Paul includes in his lists are idolatry, sorcery, right? Dealing with the occult, witchcraft, spells, Ouija boards, tarot cards, uh, fortune telling. 
Uh, drinking bouts, orgies, greed, envy, murder, gossip, boastfulness, adultery, prostitution, sexual perversion, anger, obscene language, lying, kidnapping, slander, theft. Uh, he has quite a, and he says, these are the sins that will keep us from entering the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew chapter 5, 19 to 20, Jesus even lists a few sins that he says will keep us out of heaven. And those include uh, Jesus brings up evil thoughts, murder, adultery, unchastity, theft, bearing false witness, and blasphemy. Uh, you know, so scripture has a lot to say about the topic of sin. And so, sisters and brothers, as I said, we need to take it serious. You know, the Catholic Church teaches about sin and, and the catechism. So what is it that the church teaches? Well, in the catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 1846, and I quote, the gospel is the revelation of Jesus Christ, of God's mercy to sinners. The angel announced to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the same is true of the Eucharist, the sacrament of redemption. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we see right here in scripture and the gospel of Matthew, what is the mission of Jesus? to save his people from their sins. In paragraph 1847, the Catechism teaches, to receive his mercy, we must admit our faults. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The, the Catechism there quoting uh, the book of First John. Now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you see, scripture talks a lot about sin. The catechism talks a lot about sin, but I just brought out these two paragraphs because, you know, we have to remember when we're talking about our sins, you know, Jesus came to call sinners. And, and scriptures tell us that there is more joy in heaven over the repentant sinner than the righteous man. You know, Jesus often, he combined his healing miracles with the forgiveness of sins. And after he would forgive a person's sins, you know, he would admonish them, go and sin no more. Right away in scripture, in the book of Genesis, we, we have the story of the fall. And I think it bears some reflection on the story. So as we know, God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden. And he tells them that they can eat of all the trees of the garden, except the tree in the middle, the tree of, of, that has the fruit of, of knowledge of good and evil. And of course, Satan, uh, when he tempts Eve, uh, as Satan does, he sort of lies by telling the truth. He asks Eve, you know, did God really say you can't eat from the fruit of that tree? And she says, well, yes. And if we do, we shall die. And Satan says, oh, you will not die. And see, he was lying with the truth because he knew she would not suffer a physical death. But what she was going to do was die a spiritual death. So, of course, we know the story. Eve eats of the fruit. She sees it's good. She gives it to Adam. Adam eats of the fruit. And here is where I think the story gets really interesting because it says their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. And of course, by, by nakedness, it didn't mean just the physical nakedness, but also it's like they, they lost that holy innocence of which they had. And this, of course, is the doctrine of the original sin, right? We have, as a race, have lost our, our innocence in a way. So the story goes and it says that, uh, so after they partake of the fruit, 
So as God goes walking through the garden in the breezy time of the day, and Adam and Eve, hearing God walking through the garden, hid themselves. So, of course, God is, is asking, where are you? Where are you? And they finally come out and they say, well, we, we hid ourselves. Why? Oh, well, because we were naked and ashamed. Now, again, it goes back. They weren't really ashamed that they were unclothed. They were ashamed because of their own free will. They chose to partake of an activity that God forbid them to do. So why is that important? So God went seeking them out. So I think to me, this story demonstrates what is in common with all sin. You see, sin was a breach of the relationship with God. And so God seeking them out in the garden, um, Adam and Eve have kind of hidden themselves from God. And don't we do the same? Don't we, in, in our sinful fallen human nature, don't we often hide ourselves from God? We hide ourselves in our jobs. We hide ourselves in our addictions. We hide ourselves in those things, those idols that we've set up in the temple of our hearts where we are uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yet often we set up idols in our, temp in our temples. The temple might be video games. The, the idol might be that I, I've set up uh, pornography. Uh, I may have the idol of alcoholism. I may have the idol of greed. I may have the idol of all I want to do is pursue my career and money at the expense uh, of God. We hide ourselves in our sinfulness from God. But what I really find interesting in the story is that God went walking through the garden asking, where are you? Where are you? You see, for me, the key point of that story and the key point of any story of any sin is that sin is a breach of that relationship with God who created us out of love to be with him for all eternity. And while we may hide from God, God never stops from seeking us out. So he wants to heal that relationship. And that, I believe, is one of the key points here when we look at the examine and we're examining ourselves in light of our failings, in light of our sinfulness. Now, there are some personalities that would take that examination of their sinfulness and, and maybe use it and come up with a, you know, I'm, I'm so sinful, I'm so, I have such failings, and they bring a lot of shame and guilt upon themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with shame and guilt as long as we, it, we don't make it an idol of itself, where we become so shameful and feel so guilty, and we get to the point where perhaps we feel that we're not worthy of God's mercy. Yet scripture also tells us there is no sin so great that can't be forgiven. So let's look at sin as we're examining our day in the light of when I sin, I am breaking that relationship with God. I am widening the gap and the gulf between God who calls me to be with him and myself. And so we can't let that knowledge of our sinfulness keep us from God. So let's not hide from God. Let's welcome him. When he comes walking through the garden in the breezy part of our day, let's, let's go and say, hey, God, here I am. Here I am, Lord, in all my sinfulness. <clears throat> You know, St. Francis of Assisi, in one of the admonitions to his brothers, uh, said, What a man is before God, that he is, and nothing more. 
When man is before God, that he is in nothing more. See, Francis understood in his humility that he was a creature. God is God, right? There's an infinite gap between us. And Francis looked at his life sometimes, and he, you know, I think he examined himself and he reflected on himself, and he realized he had his faults and failings, and he would bring those to God. But, you know, Francis also had a great trust and love and respect in God's mercy and the forgiveness that God offers us. Part of the examine is having the humility to say, you know, what I am before God, that I am and nothing more. Can we look at ourselves honestly and and pray maybe that the Holy Spirit will let us see our day that the way God sees our day? You know, that's not uh, a really easy thing to do. So with this view of sin as a breach of relationship, I now don't let the review of my day get me down. It's not as negative of, of an examine, but it's a means where I can see, where I can shore up my relationship with God who created me to be with him for all eternity. Father Mark Thibodeau, a Jesuit priest, says that in this step, he looks back at his day and asks the Lord to point out to him the moments when he failed in big ways or small, and he says that he takes a sobering look at the mistakes that he's made. What does this, what, what this does, he says, is makes us humble before God, who also keeps us grounded in knowing that our accomplishments are not our own. One useful prayer to start the review, he says, could be, God, would you please let me see the day the way the Holy Spirit witness it? And you know, that takes courage, because do I really want to see my day the way God sees it? You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And we're pretty good at rationalizing at times our not-so-good behavior. Father Joseph Tetlow of the Society of Jesus shares that once in a while, he'll look at his day and think that whatever he has done, the Lord has done with him. And he says he does that so that when he does something that he knows is vile, if he says a really ugly thing to someone, and if he does that, he says he made God do and say those things with him. You know, that's a sobering thought to be sure. You know, as a secular Franciscan, I promise to live by a rule of life. And Article 13 of that rule for me is the most difficult. In that rule, it calls me to see all people as an image of God and see all people as a gift of the Lord. So when we interact, and I, I think, you know, Father uh, Tetlow talking about when if he says something vile, if he acts in a way towards a person, and if he thinks of it as this is the way that God, you know, that God has done this with him. What does that that show? You know, seeing all people as a gift to the Lord, I got to tell you, I, I don't know about you, but there's some people that I look at and I say, how can this person possibly be a gift? We're called to be Christ to others. So in a way, Father Tetlow is not saying that God would actually, you know, do these vile things and sin. But in a way, if we're called to be Christ to others, and if this is how we act towards people, if we don't treat them with the dignity they deserve, then we, being part of the body of Christ, are actually, it's really something to think about. We're actually going out and doing something as the body of Christ that Christ himself would not do. And that's a sobering thought. I, I have to wrap my mind around that a little bit more, and I'd ask you to maybe spend some time contemplating that as you review your day especially in light of how we've treated others. Are we treating them like Christ or or not? 
So the wisdom of this rule, I think, this Article 13 about seeing all people as a gift of the Lord, is if I really look at the image of God in all people, it should influence how I treat them. And I often regret how at times over, over the years, I don't treat every person that God puts in my path as if I really saw the image of God in them. Thank God for his mercy that through his forgiveness, I won't have to be held accountable through all eternity for all those times that I did not see the person standing in front of me as a gift of the Lord. So one thing to keep in mind is that this uh, the entire exam should only take about 15 minutes total. So don't get so hung up on being scrupulous in regard to your failings for the day. So remember, we, we began by thanking God for the good of the day, and we we going to have this balance. So another thing about the exam in scriptural in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so part of that exam is we're looking at our life and saying, so where is my treasure? What are the things I'm pursuing? What is the treasure I'm looking for? Because that's where my heart is. And, you know, part of our calling as Christians is to be conformed to the heart of Christ. So Father Robert Spitzer has a perspective on the examine that he shares in his book, Finding True Happiness. The examine as a means to help us get to know who Jesus is and become ourselves oriented to become more like Jesus Christ in heart and action. Father Spitzer says that he reviews his day in light of the Beatitudes, which he say best reflect the heart of Christ. He likes to meditate on the Beatitudes and put himself in them, often praying something like this, Jesus, you are perfectly pure of heart. Help me to become more pure of heart, and so on. Father Spitzer suggests that before you begin to practice the examine, you need to spend some time to get very familiar with the heart of the Beatitudes, so that during the examine, you will not need to spend a lot of time reminding yourselves of what they are. Also, because the examine is not meant to be more than 15 minutes or so, it's really not practical to examine the day in light of each of the Beatitudes. So as you recall your day, different Beatitudes may come to mind based on that particular day. Father Spitzer's approach to the daily review tends to focus more on the positive attributes of who Jesus is. We need a deeper understanding of Jesus's emotions and intuition, he says. We need to get a sense of the quality of his love and how it manifests itself. And he suggests getting familiar with the heart of Jesus through the Beatitudes. And specifically, he suggests the, the following Beatitudes. He says, get very familiar with the first beatitude, which is humble-heartedness, he says. We have to get in touch with the humble-hearted Jesus. And he gives some uh, specific examples in Scripture where Jesus exemplifies humble-heartedness. And these are the infancy narratives. He says, where Jesus is not born in a place of power or influence, but in Bethlehem and in a stable. And he says we should we should meditate on instances in Jesus' life where Jesus is sharing table fellowship with sinners who are not only viewed as lowly, but as negative in the first century Jewish society. Get familiar with the Jesus being ridiculed and disdained for seeking the company of sinners. He says, get familiar with Jesus' passion, the humiliation into which he freely entered. This, he says, gets us in touch with the humble-hearted Jesus. He says, focus on the third beatitude, gentleness. He says, let's get in touch with the gentle-heartedness of Jesus. He says, Jesus's words about how 
we can learn gentle hardness from him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus addresses the father, Abba. He has this loving affection, a father-child relationship, and we need to enter into that relationship as well, gentle heartedness. He says, look at Jesus's relationship with Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, who when Lazarus died, Jesus and his gentle heartedness wept and mourned with Martha and Mary. Jesus shows his gentle heartedness in his, in his encounter with the woman caught in adultery when he you know, the people are getting ready to stone her. He's writing something in the sand. And he says, let those without sin cast the first stone. And he showed his gentle and compassionate heart to this woman. And of course, he admonished her, go and sin no more. How about Jesus revealing that God loves us as he loves his own son and that he loves us as a father loves a son? Jesus' gentle hardness. Father Spitzer says we should focus on the fifth beatitude, which talks about forgiveness and compassion. And he says in the fifth beatitude, we encounter the forgiveness and compassion of Jesus. He says, recall, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. And he says, it demonstrates the two dimensions of forgiveness and compassion. But he says, forgiveness was central to the preaching of Jesus, as in the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery. Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic. Remember, he was lowered through the roof uh, on a mat. And Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. And he said, what is easier to say? Get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgives the good thief on the cross. Jesus speaks about the father's forgiveness of the tax collector in the temple. Jesus forgives Peter for his denials. He says, sometimes Jesus's ministry of forgiveness is so profound and causes such interior healing that he elicits great faith and love, like with the Samaritan woman at the well. He encountered her. He brought, he encountered her sinfulness. He showed her mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and she became a great disciple, telling all the people in the town and bringing many people in to become followers of Christ. And so he also talks about the passages in which Jesus shows a compassion for those in need. He hears the cry of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, you know, who's sitting at the pool waiting for somebody to put him in so he can be healed. Jesus takes time to put the elderly man into the pool by the sheep gate. Jesus casts out demons from the possessed boy based on the pleading of his father. Jesus shows compassion and mercy. Be merciful. And so Father Spitzer says, focusing on these beatitudes, the first beatitude, third and fifth beatitude, help us to learn and become more attached to the heart of Jesus, which will help us in our examine of the day. And again, this seems to be a more positive aspect of the examine, right? It's, it's focusing on how can I become more conformed to the heart of Jesus? So with time and experience, the examine will become ingrained and not a struggle, but a daily encounter with the loving God, Abba. As we focus on the goal of being transformed into the heart of Christ, our daily review should not cause us to be anxious or scrupulous, but will become a means of deepening our relationship with God. So that's a lot to ponder in the end. We turn to God in love. We examine our life, our life, which is our response to that God who we love and worship because he loved us first. And St. Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 to 10, I am happy once again, not because you were saddened, but because your sadness led to repentance. You were filled with a sorrow that came from God. 
Sorrow for God's sake produces a repentance without regrets leading to salvation. And that's what it's all about here as we examine our day. We want to bring about within us that repentance that leads to salvation. And isn't that what it's all about in the end? This is the message with which Jesus began his public ministry right away in the Gospel of Mark. His first message is, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so as we strive to become what the very first psalm encourages us to be, how fitting that the Holy Spirit inspired the first verse of the book of Psalms to proclaim, happy indeed is the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked, nor lingers in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of scorners, but whose delight is the law of the Lord and who ponders his law day and night. Happy is the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked. That's why we want to examine ourselves and become more conformed to the heart of Christ. The ministry here at Tal Ministries is to help people develop that interior life of holiness so that we can be strong living stones. As we say, you know, rebuild the church with the living stones. Pope St. John the Twenty-Third said that he persuaded men to pray, to ponder the Gospels, and to reform the morals of the world by first reforming themselves. And I like that quote because it really speaks to us becoming those strong individual living stones. And so part of the examine is to help us reform ourselves. And by reforming ourselves, we can be messengers of the word of God and hence help to reform the world and to bring the world to Christ. Sisters and brothers, may the Lord grant you his peace. Hello, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Franciscan Dave podcast, a production of Tao Ministries. I am Deacon Jim Thibodeau, president of Tao Ministries. Our focus continues to be one of continuing the call of our Lord to St. Francis of Assisi to rebuild the church. This has been the ongoing mission of the follower of St. Francis for the past 800 years. And it is through the building up of the individual living stones that the church continues to be strengthened. You and I are those living stones. You can play a crucial role in this ministry. First, by encouraging your friends, family, and faith communities to subscribe and listen to the podcasts. And secondly, if the Holy Spirit so compels you, to offer financial support by clicking on the support link in the show notes. Franciscan Dave can be heard on over 20 podcast apps, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or by visiting the Town Ministries website via the podcast tab. A link to the website is also included in the show notes available in your podcast app. Brothers and sisters, thank you for listening. God bless you, and may the Lord grant you his peace.